There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving its chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the, uh, the other end of them. And there is nothing, nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. And moreover, by, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word which guards us, which sure, which protects us. Lord, thank you for... Um, uh, the authority that you've given to us in your word. Help us to be faithful to it always, Lord, to be transformed by it, to have our minds renewed by it. We give you praise for that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me tell you real quick about my history of getting up here. This week, I was good. I got everything done on time, had it ready by Thursday, had everything typed out. I thought it was so good. I thought it was good. It's the last night I got home, I, or yesterday, this weekend, it was relaxed. I yesterday worked out in the yard of the kids, did all that stuff. Went in last night to do some proofreading and editing around 9 o'clock. Thought I needed to send this. I, I, I had it on my laptop, so I needed to send it to the other computer so I could print it out. I didn't have that one connected, so save it. Send the email over to the other computer. Go down there, click on it, three lines. So... Uh, you, uh, you can imagine the panic that went through my mind. So I was like, oh, no, no, that's not right. So I ran back up there. Anyways, within a few minutes, I called Lance. Lance, I can't find my sermon. It's gone. And so he went, we spent an hour and a half on the phone last night trying to recover that thing. And his explanation to me is that my one drive was too full, couldn't save it, so it didn't get saved. I need to start over. So I started over at 1145 last night. This is what I have. I started ex nihilo. I usually <laughs> love to say that, but I hated saying that last night. I said it with tears in my eyes. It was misery. So the result is what I have here. It's raw. I thought to myself, God, is that what you want for the church? Me, raw, up there. No. That is, does it, I, you would think that would be extremely frightening, but that's where we are. So here I stand. So, I'll start out by saying that in this, I believe I'm preaching to the choir this morning because this is where we are, this is the kind of church we, we are, but I want to drive home the understanding of the power and the authority of the Word of God. I want, to, I want this to serve as a reminder, a, a planting of the flag, as you will, uh, if you will, of, of, of us being devoted uh, to guarding and protecting inerrancy and fallibility. And the authority of the Word of God. And contemplating this, I, I especially want to appeal to you young people. I want you to hear this. To say that our world is filled with, I mean, chock full of deception, uh, darkness, death, is an understatement of grand proportions. 
Satan is a liar. He's a murderer. He purposefully propagates lies with the intention of undermining and destroying God's truth. Primal to his efforts is his attack on God's word. This has been that way from the beginning. That it's not true. That it's really not the word of God. That lie is at the foundation of everything, of all lies. Now, I don't have to convince you of the assault against the word of God. It's everywhere, okay? It's even in many churches and seminaries. So what's crucial to understand here uh, is, and as the Apostle Paul points out, is that the battle we fight is spiritual in nature. We know this. We're taught this. 2 Corinthians points this out clearly. The scriptures are clear that Satan himself was directly involved in the manufacture and the propagation of false doctrines. As a matter of fact, Paul addresses this exchange in 2 Corinthians, this exchange that happens uh, between Eve and between Satan all the way back in the garden. With that first lie, has God really said? Did he really say that? Paraphrase, Eve, can you really trust God's words? I mean, would a loving God require that of you? Your first step of enlightenment is just to recognize that God is not who he seems to be, and his intentions are questionable, and I know better. That's the lie. This is nothing new. This is the mindset of our culture today. Um, even even from those within the realm of Christianity, often. So the result is that we're left simply with our own religion, a faith and a Bible and a God that we've created in our own image. Augustine summed this up nicely. He said, if you believe what you like about the gospel and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe, but yourself. Psalm 19, what we just read, is a psalm about revelation. It opens with a testimony of God's general revelation of himself in creation, and it ends with God's special revelation of himself in Scripture, his word. The latter portion of Psalm 19 is basically a, a summation of God's own word on his word, verifying it. So God comes to us in two ways. First, he reveals himself to us by the testimony of his creation. Scripture teaches this everywhere. Okay, general revelation that he is. Okay, this is not salvific. It's just the revelation that God is, God created. By what he has made, by what we see and displayed and experience with all five of our senses, every day, every moment, every second, every day. He reveals himself, secondly, by the testimony of his word, by his spirit and through his son. So regarding creation... Boy, I had more I wanted to say on this, but last night, uh, I just had to gather what I had. But I, I can say this, from, a, from a, a, a church standpoint, it would be exegetical, uh, hermeneutical, rational suicide for any theologian or any pastor, or any teacher, seminary professor to undermine the doctrine of creation. God created. That is the beginning point throughout the entire scriptures of God's revelation of himself to mankind. It is foundational to everything. This must be taught from the pulpit, okay? It's authoritative. As a matter of fact, Doug has pointed this out often, without the gospel, without Genesis, I'm sorry, without a literal Adam, a literal fall, you lose the gospel, okay? But obviously that's not necessary. So how does God respond to this kind of thinking? Well, we see laid out for us in Romans, I'm just going to read it because... According to what I was going to tell you this morning, 
you know, we need to stick with the Word of God. So there's a lot of Scripture in here, so I'm just going to read them. But this is the present judgment of God on mankind who rejects Him. This isn't future. I mean, there is future judgment, but the rejection of God and His creation, this is what it is. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor did they give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkening, claiming to be wise, they became fools." Then we see this God turning them over to the, the, all these desires and intentions of their hearts. There's this laundry list of things that we see. That's the general, that's, that's the present, the past judgment, the ongoing of God on mankind who rejects him, his creation. John 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Colossians 1. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I heard R.C. say one time that if there were a single solitary rogue atom somewhere in the universe, God would cease to be God. He is sovereign over every atom. Christ upholds it by the word of his power. That's what the scriptures teach. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen is not made out of things that are visible. We could go on with this for days. God created everything ex nihilo. That's when I like saying it. Not last night. The in, so this is, and guys, God's creation is the end point of all science. Okay? You can't separate the artwork from the artist, from the designer. That was, that's foolish. That'd be like, I was just thinking last night, that'd be like separating um, Michelangelo from his works in the Sistine Chapel. Okay, you wouldn't just assume that that incredibly beautiful artwork that's all over those walls and ceilings of that chapel just showed up there one day. How much more would we, exp would we think that of the creation of God and his creation, the incredible design of the heavens and earth, and, and earth moral consciousness and, and the experience of life and what we see around us. I mean, hey, give the naturalists some paint. Give them the chapel. Leave it sitting there over long periods of time. You're not going to get the art. Okay, It's not going to happen. It does, just does not happen that way. Okay, God has to speak. Okay, it, the designer has to create. Second, regarding the testimony of his word, that's the other way he speaks. Hebrews 1 says, long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir, all, heir of all things, whom also he created the world. Goes on, to, to, goes on beyond that. So that's how he has spoken to us. So in our text here, in Psalm 19, I want to point out to you a repetitive phrase. Look at that. Back at, back at our text, Psalm 19. It's purposeful or purposeful repetition. 7, 8, and 9 is what I'm referring to. It speaks of the law of the Lord, 
the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. You get the repetition. So if there's any question as to what the origins of the scriptures are of the Lord, this is very clear. It's very important to point out that apart from God revealing himself to us through his word, we have no capacity to know him on our own. Okay, He must intervene. Nobody on their, is capable of knowing or, or, or ascending to the mind of the thoughts of God on their own. That has to be revealed to us. He comes to us with his own self-disclosure. That's what he's done in the scriptures. That's what we have here, the self-disclosure of God to us. So starting in verse 7 in your text, you're going to see six, six statements or characteristics about what the word of God is, what he says his word is, and these are followed by Six um, results or effects that these characteristics bring in your life. So verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Okay, it's perfect. Perfect, meaning it's comprehensive in nature. It covers all basis for life and for living. Think of it as a manual. Okay, a manual from the manufacturer. It tells us how to live and how to function properly how to function at the maximum level. That's what it is, the maximum level possible. God, think of it, God is the author of all life. He created everything. He's the designer. So he's the authority on everything, right? Very obviously, I am lacking in technological skills. I can't tell you how often, my, and I'm telling you, it's the truth. It's an understatement. <laughs> I can't tell you how often at my house uh, I have to call on one of my kids to come and keep me from destroying my computer or my smart TV or my cell phone. Show me how to do it because I can't get it to do what I want it to do. And not only that, I can tell you this, they'll testify to it. Multiple times I'll bet I have used my remote or my cell phone as a hammer to nail something in. They're not designed for that. I've found that out. At times, um, uh, you know, we're not supposed to do that kind of stuff. So, so one other thing, think of this. You know that little platform on the top of the ladder? That's not a step stool, okay? It's not designed for that, okay? We, we learn that the hard way sometimes. I do, okay? So I only, I only know a small percentage about what my cell phone is capable of doing. Ask the guys in our meetings. I get grief all the time. I'm the only one with an old, outdated cell phone that can't do things they need to do so we can communicate. Last night, when I needed to communicate to Lance, I couldn't see him because my fa I, don't, I don't have the FaceTime thing. And so I had to call Ben. Ben, bring your FaceTime up here so I can talk to Lance. So I had to do that. So I, <laughs> that's just me. Lost, my, lost the sermon. So... Um, if a little referring to the manual would go a long way with me, but I rebel against that. I don't want to, honestly. That's how we are. We need to use the manual so we can know the proper function of it. Can you bear with me if I get a little bit more controversial on this topic? God told us what marriage is. He designed it. He's, it's his idea. Okay? He, 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 God taught us about what sexes are, what genders are. There's two very distinct ones. He made them. I find it almost incomprehensible that that has to be pointed out today. Okay? Male and female in his image. Okay? We, so God told us about, he told us about race. Right? He made one. One. 
the human race. It's called the human race, made up of different ethnicities and backgrounds and skin colors and all of these things that he designed, which are good and are beautiful. It's in the manual, okay? We don't have to, re, we don't have to try to rewrite it or take away from it or add to it. We just submit to that. It's already perfect. It's comprehensive. That's what it means when it says it's perfect. It covers all bases for life and living. The only thing we can do really is botch it, mess it up. Okay, we just need to um, uh, submit ourselves to it. So what's the result or the effect of the perfection of the Scriptures? They, it says they restore the soul or they revive the soul. This is the effect of its perfection. So the complete and comprehensive Word of God is the power, is the power and the means to revive or to transform the soul, the inner being. That's, that's what it's referring to. So the Word of God Energized by the Spirit of God, capital S, not talking about Mother Nature or anything like that, the third person of the Trinity, this is the same Spirit which hovered over the face of the deep in creation, which created. Okay, it's the same Spirit that raised Lazarus from the dead. This is the same Spirit that raised Christ. Okay, it's the same Spirit that regenerates us in new birth. Okay, it's the same Spirit who will raise or transform us at the coming of Christ. That is the Spirit of God that brings power, that revives, that restores. Hebrews 4 says, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and joints, uh, uh, of joints and of marrow, and the discerning of thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Second Timothy, but as for you, we read this, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted, from, acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then I immediately followed that. All Scripture is God-breathed. Okay? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. 1 Peter 1 says that we have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and the abiding word of God. Peter basically says that you have been begotten by the word. The focus is the word, the perfect word here. The word of God infused by the life-giving spirit of God is, has the power to give life to the dead. So church, I'm driving home here. The word is the power. Okay, please get that. The best thing, the only thing that a preacher or teacher can do is to preach the word. Okay, that's Paul's instruction to, to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, uh, people's eternal souls are at stake here. That's what he's saying. And by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, rebuke exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why? Because the time is coming when people uh, will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their passions and will turn away from listening to truth and wander off into myths. Okay? So the same thing to Titus at Crete. He tells Titus, Paul tells Titus when he leaves him at Crete, he said, this is why I left you in Crete. By the way, do you know what's in Crete? Cretans. I got called a Cretan by one of my teachers when I was a little kid. It wasn't meant to be good, right? Wild beasts. I think she was teasing, but she calls you a little Cretan. And so 
That's, that's what's in Crete. Okay, so, so he said, I, here's the why I left you there, to, to put things into order. That's what he says, to set things in order, set things that remain into order. That word that, I, I, that I'm emphasizing there, set in order, is the word ortho. We, hear, we know that word, orthos. That's the Greek word. This means to align, to straighten. Four out of five of my kids required braces to straighten their crooked teeth. So I gave the orthodontist a lot of money to straighten their teeth, to align them. Ben will tell you that I owe him something because he's the only one of my kids that didn't require braces. Not so fast, Ben. Because he's the only one of our children that spent half of his childhood in a cast. Okay? Two very crooked, broken arms and one very broken leg cast all the way up to the hip that he drug around for months. Crawled with that cast everywhere. So, Ben didn't require the orthodontist. He needed the orthopedist. Okay? Which was way more costly. So forget about that. Okay, so... You get the idea. They, they were broken. They were crooked. They needed a line. They needed straightened. They needed ortho. That's what he told him to do, set things in order. So the church at Crete had all kinds of issues, and Titus's job was to straighten them. And how was he to do that? Chapter 2, verse 1, teach what accords with sound doctrine and model it accordingly. Teach the word and model the word. That's what the that's what the shepherd is to do. We have nothing to add on our own. I promise you, I have nothing profound to say other than what the Word of God says. Okay, we have nothing so profound as to convert, renew, transform anybody. Only the perfect Word of God, delivered and empowered by the Spirit of God, accurately, the Spirit of truth, has the power to make a dead person live. Okay, you've heard the analogy from Spurgeon. I think Doug's given it multiple times. I love it, though. It says, the Word of God is like a lion. Lions don't need defended, okay? They defend themselves. Just let them out. Let them out. Let them loose. That's, that's what he um, uh, uh, ascribed the Word of God as. This may be a silly analogy. I've used it before, so if you've heard me, I mean, forgive me. I was up late redoing this, and so I just was thinking of things that said and in relation to this, but I think it applies. Um, in medieval times, whenever the king wanted to deliver a message to the people, he would... He had this guy that was employed for him uh, called the town crier. You guys ever heard of that? Remember this person? And the, the king would give his word to this town crier, and he would go to the town or the village. Usually he's like wrapped up in a scroll. We've seen it like on TV and different things. And he would open up this scroll, and he would say something akin to, Hear ye, hear ye. You know, this is the word of the king. And he would read what the king said to the people. The, the, the town crier if he took it upon himself by his own self-will and determination to look at that word beforehand and determine this might not go over well, this could be offensive, some people may not like this, so I may not use that part or say that part, or I may soften this up a little bit over here. Did he have the right and ability to do that? No. And I'm not going to equate our God to some tyrannical, unjust king, because he's not. Our God is holy and perfect, perfectly just perfectly righteous. Everything he says is perfect. But the point is, is, is that when the king speaks and gives you the word to speak, your job is to go and to speak it and just to tell him what the king said. That's what we are to do. Deliver the word of God to the people. 
Sometimes it's going to be out of season. Sometimes they're not going to like it. doesn't matter. Just deliver it. So back to the text. Look at 7b. It says, The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So, listen, the Scriptures are God's own testimony about Himself. We said that. They're, the, they're, they're His testimony about the truth of origins, His creation, the truth about who we are, uh, what our problem is, where we're going. It answers all these questions. Philosophers love to philosophize about these things. Okay? But all they offer is the questions, right? Just questions floating out there. Who are we? Where are we going? What are we doing? There's only the questions. Well, the scriptures actually offer the answers, okay? This is what I love about Paul. Remember when the Apostle Paul went into Athens and we had this Mars Hill moment and this, and this, he goes into the Areopagus and all these thinkers and philosophers and he lays out the truth. Do you remember this? He's, he's so disturbed by all the, the idols throughout the city as he sees all these stone idols and images. It says he's so stirred, he didn't even wait on, on his companion to show up. He had to go straight in there and, and he, just, he just let him have it. It says, and I, I even wrote the text down. So standing in the midst of the Areopagus, Paul said, men of Athens... I perceive that in every way you're very religious. For as I passed along and observed objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. They even worshiped where they didn't know. So he says, what you worship that you don't know, this is the God I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world, there it is. The starting point every time in scriptures. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from, every, from one man every nation of mankind. There it is, also one race. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Skip down. Being then God's offspring, we not ought to think that the divine is being like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art or the imagination of man. I like this. The, those times of ignorance God overlooked. Okay? Philosophy class is over. Okay? But now he commands people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which when he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. I know that was long, but there we go. He delivers it. The God who created all things is authoritative. And here's the gospel. It's authoritative. So the fear, the knowledge of God, is what our text was saying, back to our text, is the beginning of wisdom. I'll skim through Proverbs 2 real quick. He says this, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, if you incline your ear attentive to my wisdom, okay, if you incline your heart to understanding, call out for insight, seek it for silver, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. He goes on, and we, we've read this a lot. So what God is saying here is, is that we're to come... Uh, with a heart that is plowed and ready to receive his word. All knowledge, all knowledge is designed to know and to reveal God. That's, what, that's the purpose. That's the purpose of knowledge, to understand God. Why did God say do this? Don't do that. Why did, why did God give us the Proverbs and tell us all these wise sayings? Why? Because he's the designer. He, 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 he created everything. 
So true wisdom is applied to the person who begins to live out, who begins to take the Word of God, inculcate that in their life, and live it out. That is the definition of a wise person in the Scriptures. They're basically, uh, a wise person is skilled in living in harmony with God. They're skilled livers. That's, that's a wise person in the Scripture. So to sum that up, apart from truth, there is no order in our lives. There's no ortho in our lives. We have to have the Word of God come to us. And we align ourselves to the Word, uh, to the designer. And then we live more skillfully. You know, there's a lot of talk today about, hey, we need to be open-minded to this and to that. And hey, I understand. But I do want to point this out. That the open-minded person to the Hebrew in the Bible, when they, when they talked of this, and I'll, I'll be careful how I say this, was, was the person that was basically open to any idea without discretion. Do you get the idea? They had no filter, no discrimination as regard to what is true and what is reality. Okay, we are to be, the scripture says, like the Bereans. We're to hold all things in the light of truth of the word of God and to filter what we hear and what, we, what ideas that we hear in this world, we're to filter those through the authoritative word of God. Okay, and test it to see if it holds up. Okay, if, if it's true according to God's word, store it up. If it's not true, uh, uh, understand what it is and discard that as not true, not reality. As Paul says to the Ephesians, don't be tossed to and fro by the waves that are carried by, about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Don't be tossed around like that. We are to be rooted and established in the truth. So go to verse 8. Verse 8 of, of Psalm 19 says this. says, the precepts of the Lord are right, and they rejoice the heart. says, says they're right, meaning they're the right path, they're the right way, they're, they're the correct direction. You heard it said in the Scriptures that there's a way that seems right to a man, but its way is, the, the end of that way is death. I'll say, I'll say it right. Its end is the way of death. Okay, did you hear that, young people? It seems right. It feels right. You hear that a lot. Always remember, feelings are deceptive. They have nothing to do with truth and reality most of the time. Remember, truth is revealed. It's what the Reformers like to refer to as, and I've heard Doug say this too, as is regarding our salvation. It's extra nos. It's outside of us. We don't have it inside of us. We don't go to ourselves for the truth. God has to intervene. There's so many wrong ideas out there about God. I'd say, who are you listening to? Be careful. We're bombarded with nonsense. Okay? Listen, you know, I'll say this is one of the things. Listen to yourselves. It feels good. Do it. If it feels good, do it. Empower yourself. Follow your heart. They all sound good, right? Contrast that with Jesus. Deny yourself. Die to yourself. Okay? The scriptures refer to our hearts as desperately wicked apart from God. Calvin referred to our hearts as idol factories. That's who we are apart from his word. So the world, church, is filled with lies and deception. But the word of God, it says, is pure. It's right. It's trustworthy. The world is heavy. It's dark. It's confusing. It's unpredictable. But the word of God isn't. It's not. The world is, um, um, that's a long thought. I'm going to go back up that because I'm, I'm worried about time now. Okay, but that is to say, it's constant. It's pure, it's perfect, 
That's why, that's why the word rejoices the heart. That's what it says. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. I mean, we don't want to look within ourselves for what's true. I hear so much nowadays, I, I literally I read it all the time about um, um, meditation, and there's so many mystical ideas about stuff like that out there. In my opinion, and I heard someone else say, I think that that really just leaves your head empty, right? Empty-headed meditation. How about, how about meditate on the Scriptures and fill your mind with truth, okay? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what we read. Romans 12. So back to this idea of it rejoicing the heart. Joy, I want to say this, joy is inextricably linked to truth and obedience to the truth. Joy is, this is an interesting thing. Joy is a particularly Christian concept. I don't know if you know that. There's no concept or understanding of joy apart from being in Christ. Joy is a biblical word. Okay, joy to the world. This is a, this is a word that comes from, from Scripture. True joy comes from hearing and believing and living in the truth. Jesus said, happy is the person who hears my word and does it. John 1, these things I write to you that your joy may be full. This is the context behind what the Apostle Paul was saying in Philippians 1, when, this familiar text. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet if I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My, de my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. What he's, really, what he's saying here is, is that I really want to depart and be with Christ. Here he is in chains, right? But he says, but if it's his desire that I stay here and serve him in these chains, I'll do it gladly. I just pray that he's magnified in my body. So what Paul is saying, whether you kill me, Good, I can go and be with the Lord. Or if you leave me here, Lord, to stay, I'm going to serve you. Good. It's all joy to him. We can have joy in suffering. I don't want it, but we can have that. So the second half of verse 8 says this, The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The commandment of the Lord is pure. That's the characteristic. Enlightening the eyes is the, is the, um, uh, the byproduct, the effect. It's pure, it's clear, it's transparent, it's lucid. That's what it's saying. Scripture explains it this way. It's been, it's been refined in the finer's fire seven times. That's what it says about the Scriptures. Seven times seven. This is the idea or the understanding of perfection. Who is it that can declare that God's Word is not pure when God said that it is pure? I mean, I don't know about you, but that's unbelievable arrogance to me. Unbelievably arrogant. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He said this. I heard uh, Pastor Nathan say it last week. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Matthew 7, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now, be, understand, believing on Christ Jesus to save you from your sins is all that's required for your salvation. But at times, it makes life difficult. You'll have to swim against the current. You'll be swimming upstream. That's not easy. You're going to suffer at times. You're going to be hated at times. That's what we're called to. Verse 9. 
Moving on here, verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. It's clean, endures forever. God's word's without error. It endures forever. You know what that means, church? It means that the scriptures are permanently relevant. Permanently relevant. We're so, the church nowadays, they're so, trying so hard to make themselves relevant to the world, right? Changing the names and the products. We just want to be so relevant to the world. Listen, the Word of God is permanently relevant. It doesn't change. God's Word doesn't need updated. The Scriptures stretch across the span of time and throughout generations. God said, the heavens and the earth shall pass away, but my Word shall endure forever. Okay, not my word shall endure until the next generation says it's antiquated or irrelevant. It's always relevant. The scriptures do not require an update. It doesn't need edited. It doesn't need people who feel they're wiser than the scriptures to correct it, who feel it falls short socially or economically and needs to be brought into the current temperature of the day. That's nothing more than unbelief. Code for we want our own way on this. Hmm. The second part of of verse 9 there says the rules or the verdicts or the judgments is what it's saying of the Lord are true and they're righteous altogether. They're true. Truth, this this is a controversial statement in today's world. Truth is fixed. It's true whether you or I believe it or not. It's law. It's authoritative. It can't be changed. Okay? There are not multiple truths for different people. You don't get to choose your variety of what truth and reality is. That's that's nonsense, okay? Jesus said, the world hates me because I testify of the truth. He speaks truth. He exposes sin. That's what he does. That's why they hate him. He brings all things into the light. Jesus exposes his light on darkness. And when he does that, he exposes what's done in the dark. He exposes sin. He exposes false ideas, false ideologies. That's what the light does. And he's called us to come into the light with him. Church, we have to know the nature of our battle. Our battle is spiritual. Scripture says that we do not war against flesh and blood. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal in nature, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's basically saying we're to use the tools that God gives us. Pastor talked about those in Ephesians 6 a couple of weeks ago. We're to take those tools, that helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, belt of truth, feet shod with the gospel, breastplate of righteousness, and we're to um, smash warped philosophies. We're to tear down barriers that have been erected against the truth of God. We're to fit every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of a life shaped by Jesus Christ. I'm not going to sit up here and say that I do that all the time. That's what we're to do, okay? So, church family, we must, I want to just drive that home. We must always hold up the truth of the authority and the inerrancy and the infallibility of the Word of God because it produces comprehensive righteousness in each of us. It's the power to to generate new birth and change. We just need to be faithful to, to deliver that. Hold on to the cry of the Reformation. Scriptures alone, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. 
That is our cry, and that's what we hold to. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word spoken to us. We thank you for